going to start with a word that you've heard a long time. Contagious. If you see the overhead, contagious means spreads from one person to another. I know some of you say, Pastor Mark, heard enough of that word, not interested in it anymore. Oh, you will be. The word contagious usually is negative. And, of course, we've just are being coming out of that coronavirus, contagious everywhere. That's why we're separated. But there's another part in spiritual. The word contagious, if it says there's fear, depression, and bitterness, it's easy for that to spread. And contagious, the word, it's negative. But when God's gifts of love and joy and faith and hope and peace are spread to others, which is going to happen this weekend, contagious is positive. You know the basics of John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy but here's the other side from Jesus. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I want you to say this with me. You see it on the overhead. And I'll say it. I'll start it at one, two, three. Here we go. God is a giver, but Satan is a stealer. God is a giver, but Satan is is a stealer. Now, we're going to talk about God's gifts to us tonight. And I want to share this verse with you. It comes from James 1.17. God is the source of every good and perfect gift. So we're going to talk about God's gifts this evening in the scripture from the story of Philip at Samaria. Now, we learned last weekend that Philip had left Jerusalem and God sent him to Samaria. Now, the reason he sent him is God knew that the Samaritan people, remember there, they were a mixture of Jews and Gentiles for thousands of years. And their spiritual problems were basically two big ones. But they didn't really know there was a solution to the problems. Actually, they probably didn't even know that was problems, but they were. Let me share the first one. Their spiritual beliefs, as they mixed Jews and Gentiles, were all wrong. They were looking for a deliverer, but they didn't believe in Jesus Christ at all. Now, you can see why Philip went there. Now, God loved these lost people so much, and he knew that when Philip got there, he would do one thing. He would teach about Jesus' love, and that love would begin to spread from Jerusalem all the way to Samaria. And we'll see next week, it will go farther and farther and farther and farther. And it has reached all of us. You know the verse by heart, but I want to focus on this. John 3, 16, you see it right there. For God so loved the world that he 
gave, that he gave. He's a giver. His one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not, key word, because you'll hear it later, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, if you're taking notes, you'll have a few of these through the teaching. God's gift of love is actually very contagious because people are searching to be loved. All of us want to be loved. All of us want to be accepted. God knew that. That's why he sent Jesus. God is love. Let me read it to you. 1 John 4, 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That was the first problem. Here's the second problem. Look in your Bibles, Acts chapter 8. You can scoot on down to verse 10. Acts 8, verse 9 and 10. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. Now, he was a very prideful person. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man, listen, is the divine power known as the great, power. They had never heard any other person speaking to them in a spiritual realm, even though this was demonic. Notice verse 11. They followed him. The enemy had a contagious effect on the people because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. Well, because of Simon's sorcery, he had exercised control, demonic control over the people by the means of Satan's demonic and magical powers. All the people where Philip is teaching now, going to begin to teach, they're all deceived. They don't know the truth at all. They are believing Satan's lie that this man, human, was the power of God. Now you can see why God sent Philip to Samaria. You see, this is not new for Satan. He continues it today in our world. Satan loves to attack the truth about God and about God's word. And he takes that truth and he replaces it with his lies. It started in the Garden of Eden, Garden of Eden just exactly like that. Now remember, Satan is a liar and he can't speak the truth. So that's what was happening to these people. They had been given a lie for years. They believed it. They bought into it. They didn't know they had a problem. But they'll see now. They were actually in bondage. Satan always brings bondage. But God sets us free. Now, Philip begins, and he teaches the people truth, that the one they're looking for to free them is Jesus the Messiah. All people want answers to life, and they're searching for truth. They, you, I, when we come to the earth, we begin thinking, okay, why am I here? 
what's this life all about? Is there a purpose I'm supposed to have? What will happen after I die? Can I ever find joy and peace and hope? Absolutely. Here's where we find joy, peace, and hope. It's the Bible. It's the absolute truth. You see, God is the God of truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. You know who wrote this? The Holy Spirit. So all the Bible is true. They didn't have, obviously, they only did the five first books of the Old Testament. They, uh, the New Testament wasn't here yet, but it's starting because Philip is going to give us truth from that. Now, here's the second thing you want to write down. We can trust God in his word to show us how to do life right. How to do life right. Now, here's something, second thing to write down, second thing of God's gifts. God's gift of truth is contagious because we all want to know truth. And that's what we do. Every church that teaches from the Word of God is teaching God's truth. And we're learning how to do life right. Now, look at verse 6. Chapter 8, verse 6. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs that he did, they all played close attention to what he said. So all of a sudden, the people in Samaria are noticing, whoa, something's different here. This, the Philip is different. And so the crowds are coming, and they're listening very closely to what he is saying. And here comes the supernatural part. Look at verse 7. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many. They'd been demon-possessed. Many paralytics and cripples were supernaturally healed. Verse 8 says it like this. So there was great joy in that city. Now skip on down to verse 12. Now after hearing Philip, they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. See, these people had been in the kingdom of Satan. There's only two kingdoms, the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. They <clears throat> believed Jesus was the Messiah, their Savior, would forgive them their sins. And they transferred from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. God's word through Philip ignited their hearts and they had their eyes spiritually open and they saw how much God loved them. They saw people being healed, totally delivered from demons and knew that God was obviously way more powerful than Simon, Satan's sorcerer. All these years, the whole city had been living according to the deception of Satan. They were bound. They didn't even know it. That's why it's called deception. But now the people of Samaria were born again, and they had the joy of physical and spiritual health, something they'd never experienced 
in their lives. The gospel changed the city spiritually, and there was great joy. Notice this statement. People who receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord will be filled with joy. And this weekend, every one of our services, you will have an opportunity, if you're not yet a believer, to change your life, to become a follower of Jesus, and experience that peace and joy that can only come from God. Now, here's what you need to see. God's gift of salvation is contagious. Now, remember, it can be good. It is good. It's actually great. God's gift of salvation is, is contagious. The whole city became Christ's followers. Remember the definition of contagious? It spreads. It spreads. So the people that got saved, they just went spreading. And if, if the people weren't there to hear Philip, then you got to come hear this. you got to come hear this. You remember when Jesus went to the woman at the well in another part of Samaria. You remember when she, he went there? She didn't know anything about salvation. She was a Samaritan. She didn't believe Jesus. Jesus shared the gospel with her, and she became a believer. You know, the very first thing she did, she went into the town where she came from. She said, you got to come out and see this guy. you got to come out and say, I'm free. I've been forgiven. Jesus, the Messiah, is here. What is that? Contagious. She went in, and the whole town came out. And got saved. And then they said this to Jesus. you got to stay here. we got to hear more of that truth. We have never learned that truth. You see, salvation, the gospel, when it happens, it is contagious. That's exactly the same thing happened in this specific town. Now, why did God forgive all these people? Did they work for it? Were they really, really super good people? No, he would have to explain it because lots of people are confused with that. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the, here we go again, the gift of God. Not by works so that no person can boast. So here's the next thing you want to write down. God's gift of grace is contagious because we could not earn it. See, that's why sometimes people will say this. Becoming a Christian and God forgives all of our sins, it's got to be too good to be true. You see, grace means not deserving. Well, none of us deserve it. It's by God's grace because of his love for us. And so when people see it's really true, they can't hardly believe it. And I'm sure that's what that town was going through. You mean my whole past, all my sins are forgiven and forgotten by God? That's like too good to be true. See, it's contagious. It continues to spread. And that's what happens when the gospel is taught. Now, when we share that God has forgiven all of us, he gives us a brand new start. And this is what happens. We talk about this a lot in church. When people begin to watch our lives and they see there's a difference, not that we're like these weird people, 
But all of a sudden, we seem to have joy. We seem to have peace. And people that know us well, that knew us before, they go, well, what's happened to you? And it's the same thing that's happening during the coronavirus. If you go to people's houses that are Christians, and they're out on the streets just talking to their neighbor, yes, they're, they're obeying the law, they're six feet away or whatever, they have a mask, whatever needs to be done. Even though we have trouble, even though we go through the same things they're going through, even though we're put in this home and can't go to the grocery store and this, you got to be careful over here. And, and sometimes there's fear, anxiety. We're wondering, is this thing ever going to end? But when, when we realize we can cast all our care on God, and we learned last week we can actually have joy. And we learned the week before what God allows, he will eventually take Satan's desire to make it bad and make it good. And so people start saying this. How did, how did you get there? How did you change? That's exactly what's happening in this town. And that's exactly what happened to the woman at Samaria. She went into the town. She says, I'm a changed person. You got to come out here. And we can't ever stop that. That's why we hear in the scriptures, Jesus talking about it. That message that he gave us. Seek and save the lost that we find in Luke 19.10. Now, when we talk about joy, let me just remind you from last week. Because sometimes we have to remember what joy is. Joy is not an emotion. It's an attitude. It's from our heart. Look at here. Joy is a deep, settled confidence that God is in control. Remember what Satan meant for bad? God turns around for good. Of every aspect of our life, regardless of the circumstances. See, an unbeliever will never have joy. They may have happiness, but they will never have joy because joy is all about God. It's all about God being in control. Now, last weekend, we taught you something very important for all of us, that God's joy can defeat depression, anxiety, insomnia, and many other problems, mentally, socially, physically. And when I saw that this week, I began praying, and I went back to the book, of Proverbs in the Old Testament. Do you know that the Old Testament talks about joy? It doesn't just talk about joy. It talks about joy, smiling, laughter. Wow. Let me show you a couple things. Here's a picture I have at home. I love it. I love it. The picture is called Smiling Jesus. Now look at that verse. A joyful heart makes a cheerful face. A joyful heart makes a cheerful face. Now, when you see Jesus smiling, some of you are say, no way he could smile. Look, with those 12 knuckleheads like we are, disciples, do you think he didn't laugh and smile? Are you kidding me? Of course he did. All the time. Peter, what are you doing? This and that and the other. Now, I want to give you one other key. And here's what I want to challenge you right now. Some of you haven't smiled in so long since we started this crazy thing. Your lips are cracked here. Just open them up now. Come on. Open your mouth at home. I'm watching you. Come on. You're not doing it. Come on. Open your mouth. Smile. Smile. Turn to somebody there and smile. Shock them to death right now. Come on. Smile at them. Here's what I want to tell you. Look at this next statement. When we are filled with God's joy, God's gift of joy, it is contagious. You know, have you ever been in a place, I've been there many times, 
You'll be sitting somewhere. <clears throat> now, it's bad because I've seen this happen in church. Somebody says something, and somebody gets, gets silly in the back, and they can't, they're in church, they can't stop, and, <laughs> and they're smiling, and they're laughing, and you've done it too. All of a sudden, you break out laughing, 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 because it's what? Contagious. Contagious. A smile is contagious. Joy in our heart is contagious. You know what, really? I don't have time to go into it tonight from my science background. But joyful and laughing, it solves a lot of problems. There's hormones in our body. When we laugh, it affects us. It makes us much more positive. I don't have time to go through all that tonight. It's just fantastic. But I want you to see this statement. A joyful heart makes us feel better. And when you're feeling better, guess what? It spreads. It spreads to others. Now, again, this is a joyful heart. That attitude that comes from God because we trust him with everything in our life. Now, laughing and smiling prove that we have a joyful heart. Now, here's something that may seem strange to you, but I want to ask you a couple of questions. If you are visiting a restaurant, it's a new restaurant, you haven't been there before, and you go there. And when you see there's excellent food, and you go again just to make sure, and it's fantastic. If you have good friends, what's the first thing you do? They'll call and say, how you doing? Oh, we visited this restaurant. You got to go there. This is fantastic. You just got to go there. So what's happening? The restaurant is what? It's contagious. That's how restaurants boom, boom, boom. Now, I know I shouldn't talk about because you can't go there, but they're coming. Get ready. It's going to come. And that spreads. That's exactly what happens. Food, good food is contagious. Now, here's another one. If you're visiting a foreign country and your friend lives there and they call you and say, I know you haven't been here before, but I, I'm going to tell you something. I can take you to a place. You don't know the food, but it's fantastic. So you take a risk. You take a risk. Now, I, I've been to, going to Singapore since 1990. And uh, the first time I got there, one of the pastors took us, my wife and I, up to Malaysia. And we didn't know anything about it. We couldn't understand the people. And, and they gave us some food and stuff. And uh, they said, here's a soup. I said, well, the soup looks pretty good. I guess I'll take it. And I, I was eating it. And I noticed in, in another place the same way, these little tubes. And I'm saying, what is that? And I found out from one of the places that, oh, that's just an intestine of a, and an animal. Oh, thank you very much. I'll take something out. Do you have a veggie soup? Uh, but then one time, we were in Singapore, and our pastor friends at Havoc Calvary Chapel, they said, I want you to try this roti prata. And you, what is roti prata? I give and show you a picture. There it is. That's my wife and I eating roti prata. It is absolutely crazy. It's lovely. And they have this little uh, kind of a, uh, Indian sauce that goes with it. You can make it with meat. You can make it later. Just take that off. And you can have uh, bananas, chocolate on it. You can have an egg on it. You can do whatever you want. Every time we've gone there the last 20 years, we, we go there and we say, roti prata, roti by the way, you can try to make it at home. You'll never do it, but you got to go overseas. See, what happened? That, that whole town of Singapore is filled with these shops. Why? It's contagious. It's good food. Now, when I see that, Linda and I are there. We're smiling. We enjoyed it. It's good for us. We just had a great time with it. Now, 
Look at this next verse, and you'll see it. A joyful heart is good medicine. A joyful heart is good medicine. I want you to see on the overhead something that will make you laugh just a little bit. Just a little bit. Here it comes. Here's these two ladies. You can see they're not young, about like me. One lady says this, I believe my house is haunted because every time I look in the mirror, a crazy old ladder, lady stands in front of me so I can't see my reflection. <laughs> Guess who the old lady is? It's her. She can't believe it. Now, you say, Pastor Mark, that's not funny. Well, what's wrong with you? It is funny. It's really funny. You know why? Because we're kind of getting there. You ever look in the mirror and go, really? That's me? Now, you young people, you can laugh. Go ahead and laugh. But later, you're going to experience the same thing. So laughter is good for our health. Smiling is good for us. Jesus smiled. He laughed. He had good times with life. In fact, the Bible says this. At that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, you are my God. Laughter, joy, healthy. Solomon is the one that said, cheerful, joyful heart is a true cure. Our spiritual condition affects our physical well-being. Don't forget it. As we're coming out of this, let's get back to enjoying life as God designed. Yes, there's going to be more troubles, but you know who's in control. You can have joy and laughter. Let's practice that. Now, look at verse 13. Simon himself believed. Now, this is amazing. And was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Let me just say something to you, and you'll understand as I go through. This whole story about Simon, people debate it. Was he a believer? Wasn't he a believer? Bottom line, Luke doesn't tell us. But pretty much, you're going to have your own feeling, but God will know in the end. He already knows now. Simon's gone. I lean, and you'll see why, at least for me. I'm not God. I lean that his salvation was never really real. But other people would say it was. Well, we, we're not God. Luke didn't tell us. We just leave it to God. But notice here. Simon believed and was baptized. He followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great sign and miracles he saw. So outwardly, this is the danger, outwardly Simon made a profession of faith. He said it with his words. But as you go through, it never was from his heart. He made a profession of it, but he never had the possession of it. It never went from here to here. And there's a lot of people like that. Remember one day Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me. They'd done a lot of good works, but he said, I never had a relationship with you. you it never moved from here to here. Now watch what happens. Verse 14. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come, key word in your verse, circle it, upon. The Greek word is api. You'll see why. Any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, Word of this great revival 
reached Jerusalem. I, I don't know how it reached. They didn't have texting, they didn't have whatever, but somehow it, news got there. And by the time Peter and John arrived a few days later, all these new Christ followers had been baptized in water and had the Holy Spirit living in them. And you'll see why in a moment. Now, I'm going to do this very fast because the whole book is about the Holy Spirit. But I'm not going to go in depth. I'm going to do it fairly, pretty fast. So kind of fasten your seatbelt and we'll go through it. There's three relationships a person can have with the Holy Spirit. Three relationships. The first relationship is basically when the Holy Spirit, we're convicted by the Holy Spirit. That means when an unbeliever, and some of you that are there, all of us were done the same way. When you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit convicts us and basically says, uh, you're not right with God. You're trying to do good enough works. You'll never make it. Uh, you have to be sincere about this. And so the Holy Spirit will say, look, you need to accept Jesus Christ. You need to, you understand, he's the one that died for your sins. You'll never get to heaven unless you do that. So the Holy Spirit, in a loving way, convicts people. And for those of you that aren't Christians, that's what's happening to you already right now. In other words, the Holy Spirit might say to you, well, when you die, where are you going to go? Well, I hope heaven. Well, that's not good enough. The Holy Spirit will say to you, no, 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 you can know, and I'll show you that in a moment. But you have to understand, that's between you and us. Every Christian starts with this role, convicted by the Holy Spirit. Now, Relation number two, the minute you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, the minute you do that, you confess your sins. We'll give you an opportunity in this service. You confess your sins. What happens to the Holy Spirit? He moves from alongside you, boom, and he comes right into your life. And you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. A living God, the Holy Spirit, comes to live in us. It's very personal. Now, when he comes, he's coming for a reason. It's kind of an inward work in us. And it's not like weird. He's a spirit, but he lives in our body. And he is trying to use the word of God, because that's what he does, to conform us to become more like Christ. Now, let me show you something when that happens. When that takes place in your life, here's something you need to write down. Look at this next statement. Every single Christ follower, if you're real, has the Holy Spirit living in them. That's why you have to understand, you're never alone. I'm never alone. I have God living in me. Now, that's bizarre, isn't it? It's way better than a demon. It's God, the third person of the Trinity. Now, for the last few months, all of us have been faced with difficult times, but some of the gifts that the Holy Spirit does, these are in the Bible, John 14, 16. I don't have time to go through them, but I'll go through them very quick. Take a look at it. You can find it in the notes. I'm going to do this in two little sentences. Here they are. When the Holy Spirit's in us, and we're going through difficult times, here's what. The Holy Spirit can comfort us. He's the greatest comforter in the world because he knows everything. He's God. He helps us pray. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. He helps us pray. He guides and directs every step of our life because he knows what's ahead. Don't miss next week. You're going to see Philip leaving Samaria and going, we would call it, on a wild goose chase, except it's directed totally by God. And the gospel will spread to another whole country. Don't miss it. But see, the same thing is going to happen here. He guides and directs us. Then here's another one. I love it. The Holy Spirit teaches us. Now, what's he teaches? His word. He's the author. And he enlightens it. You ever read a verse? And all of you go, man, I never saw that before. 
That's the Holy Spirit lightning. You forget a verse, and you're out, and you're going, man, what is that verse? Boom, the Holy Spirit brings it back to you. Notice, he reminds us of the word. He's living in us. Now, there's a third relationship that Jesus taught. It's distinct and separate from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the moment you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into you. He lives in you for the rest of your life. He's there. He's permanently a resident of your life. You have God living in you. But the third relationship, you see it right here, empowered by the Spirit. Empowered by the Spirit. That word, Greek word is ep. It means to come upon or overflow you. Now, that shouldn't surprise us because look at this verse. Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, notice what, comes on a P-U. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. We've already seen it happen. Look what happens. And in all Judea and where? In Samaria. That's where they are. In Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. So the empowering of the Holy Spirit is different than having the Holy Spirit live in you. It gives us a boldness to witness so that we can be not brash, but boldness in sharing the gospel because Satan doesn't like that. See, it's one thing to have the Holy Spirit living in us. It's something else to also be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, here is another one of God's gifts. You can't earn it. It's a gift from God, just like salvation is. Look at this statement. God's gift of the Holy Spirit is contagious because all Christ's followers, every one of us, need God's power. It's essential. Now, who's a picture of that? Philip is a picture of that. Philip was a perfect picture of a spirit-filled believer that God uses a powerful witness to the Samaritans. Remember, now, these new Samaritan believers needed to be filled also. So Philip is teaching, and his teaching becomes basically what? Well, you see, it; it's contagious. The whole town comes because he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So what are Peter and John going to do? Look at verse 17. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when the Holy Spirit came on them, what did Simon see? We don't know. It's clear there's some kind of external sign, because you're going to see in a moment. Simon says, I, I, I want to buy that. I want that power. How do I get that? We don't know what it was. It could be speaking in tongues. It could be a gift of the Spirit. We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us because he doesn't want to say, oh, I know you're filled. Here's, here's the gift. Here's the only way. No, God does it in many, many, many ways. Now watch this. Look at 18. When Simon saw, saw the Spirit was given at the laying on of hands by the apostles, he offered them money. He offered them money. So you already begin to think about something. Really? Now that you're a Christian, it's about money? Uh, no, it isn't. Now watch this. Verse 19. And he said, give me this ability so that everyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. What is he trying to do? He's trying. He's trying to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can't buy your salvation. You can't buy joy. You can't buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. Understand, when he's trying to do this, he thinks he can take money and become a person that is powerful. 
and what he's thinking is, if I can do this, see, you have to understand what happened to Simon. Before Philip came, who was the man that had the attention of all the people in Samaria? Simon. When they heard the truth and they all got saved, guess who was the head person now? Philip. So he says, I got to buy that. I'm jealous. I'm going to get back to doing exactly what I did before. These people will come back to me. I need that power right now. So you can already see there's a selfish motive. It's wrong. Has nothing to do with God. So he's trying to buy it so people can see, again, he's still a powerful man. Well, look at what happened. Look at Peter. Now, Peter loved to speak pretty, pretty straightforward. Watch what he says. Peter answered, may your money perish with you. You know, in the original language, it actually says this. May you and your money go to hell. Now, don't write me. That's the original language. But notice the word. May your money perish with you. Why did Jesus come? If you accept him as your Savior, you won't perish. So he's, Peter's saying to you, uh, something's wrong here. Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. See, God's salvation can't be earned by good works. God's gift must be simply received by what? Believing in faith. Remember this principle. Good people but most of the world believes this. It's wrong. They're deceived by Satan. Good people go to heaven. They do not. Only forgiven people go to heaven. And the only way to get, be forgiven is through the person of Jesus Christ, accepting him as your personal Savior. Now, look at verse 21. Peter goes on because he knows something's wrong with this guy. You have no part or share in this ministry. Because your, notice, your heart is not right before God. Now, the heart is the center direction of all of our whole being. It's not my heart. It's a spiritual heart. Remember, the Bible says, be careful with your heart. It directs everything in our life. So, Peter says, your heart isn't right. You got the wrong motive. You are definitely not a believer. Now, and notice what he says. Peter is just saying this. How can he look into a person's heart? I can't see a person's heart. That's why the Bible is very careful about judging. But God can. There is a gift called the gift of discernment from the Spirit. Peter's Spirit-filled. So he was able, through God, to see into Simon's heart that he was not really saved at this point not believer at all his motive is ungodly now look what he says to him though look at verse 22 repent of this wickedness and pray to the lord interesting word perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart so peter says you need to repent of your wickedness Seems your belief in God is not real. It's simply superficial. Verse 23 adds to the thing that I believe he's not a believer. Look at it. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. You know the verse. When you come to Christ, Christ sets us free. We're no longer captive to Satan and sin. We're free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. 
So Peter's saying, something's wrong. You're still under Satan. You're not under God. Now the problem is, when you see this, we never see really any kind of response. Look at verse 24. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Well, that's not repentance. He's saying, just say, tell God, no, I, I mean, well, God, I'm fine, I'm fine. No, 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 no. Simon's unwilling to repent. He only wants to avoid the consequences. It's like people say, oh, I'll get saved because I want fire insurance. That's the wrong motive. The total wrong motive. He's unwilling to repent. That's why I believe he was never saved because he wouldn't repent. If a person doesn't repent, you can't go to heaven. Repentance is the first word that happens in salvation. Now, I want you to see this picture. All of Samaria, hundreds and hundreds of people in Samaria, they're experiencing the joy of the Lord. Why? Because they were really born again. And they had God living in their heart. They had repented. They got God living in them. And they went and were water baptized. And they had that Holy Spirit in them. So here's, here is a town filled with people that are all full with God's joy. Contrast that with Simon. There is no joy. There is no freedom. There's no peace. Why? Because I believe he never came to the Lord. That's the contrast. He's still a sinner in the kingdom of God. Now look at verse 25. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in the Samaritan villages. Now think what that says. They were so encouraged, Peter and John, when they came, because they understood how much of that was happening there. They saw that whole town changed. It was courageous of Philip to speak in the presence of a demon-possessed whole town. He just did it. He went for it. Now, they saw the gospel was contagious, positively. Now, how this wasn't the first time they saw it. Remember the first sermon Peter preached? 3,000 people came to Christ. And over a month or two, 10,000 people came to Christ. Why? When the truth is preached and the Holy Spirit is there, it's contagious. That's a great thing. It spreads, it spreads, it spreads, it spreads. Over the last six to seven weeks, we've had more than 350 people accept Jesus Christ. Last week, another 27 people accept Christ. Why? It spreads, it spreads. It is absolutely contagious. And that's the good thing from the gospel. Now, I want to say just one thing for you. And as I want to say this, I want you to just understand. Some of you here, as you've listened tonight, you, you may say, well, that confused me a little bit, Pastor Mark. Can, can a person really know if they're saved? Because I don't want to think I am, but I want to be sure. Can, can I really know? Yes, you can. Here's the verse that proves it. 1 John 5, 13, look at it. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know 
in your heart, in your head, in your whole spirit, that you have eternal life. That means you've been born again. So to have a personal relationship with God is absolutely the greatest gift a person could ever receive. You can't work for it, but you can ask God to forgive you, and he'll give you the gift. And then God will use you just like he did these people. Some of your friends in the future will say, what happened to you? Well, it was what? Contagious. You have joy, and you have peace, and you have basically freedom to serve and follow Jesus Christ. Can I just say this to you tonight that are, do not, are not sure that you're a Christian? Or maybe you've walked away from God and you need to come back. You kind of got in the world. Let me say this. God loves you. And you ha- aren't listening this weekend by accident. God has directed you here because he loves you. Today, you saw the real heart of God. God wants to forgive your sins, give you a brand new start with him, and a guarantee for heaven, for eternity. You say, well, Pastor Mark, what do I have to do? Super simple. Let me say this. Romans 10, 9, take a look at this. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe, watch this, and believe, have faith, trust in your heart, not in your head, in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everybody that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's all you have to do. And here's what I want you to do to show you how that works. I want in a moment for you to quietly repeat this prayer after me. So wherever you're at throughout the United States, the world, wherever you're at right now, either you're not a believer yet, but you'd like to become, or you were and you backslid, I want you just to pray this prayer quietly under your breath, right where you're at, right where you're at. And hundreds and hundreds of people are praying for you in homes, in different places all over the world. Because we all came to Christ the same way. Pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins. Right now, I turn from my sins. And I choose to follow you as my Savior and my Lord. Come in, change my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And thank you that my sins are gone. I know I don't deserve it. Thank you for your grace. I look forward to a life of freedom, forgiveness, security, purpose, and hope. Thank you for saving me. Now, here's what I want you to do. Take a look on the overhead. If you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to text this number, 321-574-6970. I'll give it again, and you can also call the church and get it. 321-574-6970. And all you do is text YES, Y-E-S, And right below, you'll see a couple questions. I would appreciate it if you give us your email. It's not going to go out to anybody else. But I want to send a letter and say, you made the best decision in the whole world. I'm serious. You will get a letter right from me. And the second thing is, we have a free brand new Bible, New Testament Bible. It's fantastic. And we want to just send it to you for free. 
It shows you how to begin your walk with God. So if you do those two things, that will just help us keep in contact with you, especially during this time. Now, we're not going to bombard you. We're not going to send you emails to you and all that kind of thing. It's just to help you begin that walk with God. So please, text yes, 321-574-6970. Now, everybody, you're still listening to me. We're going to do two things. We're going to take communion. So I want you to get your communion elements ready. I already said to you at the beginning of the service, just to get that ready, I have mine ready right here. And you just want to get a little piece of bread or whatever. You know, when I was in India many, many years ago in 1990, uh, there was no crackers. You know what we took communion with (laughs) over there? Popcorn. Already popped. And that's the way it was. People do that all over the world. They don't have. So it doesn't matter what you have. I have a little piece of cracker, and I have here just a little water. So whatever you had, doesn't have to be grape juice, doesn't have to be whatever it is, just take it. But I want to read something to you just before we take communion. Listen to this. Hebrews 12, 2. Jesus is speaking. For the joy set before him. Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What in the world is Jesus talking about for the joy as he's getting ready to be crucified? You know what the joy was? It's you and me becoming a Christian. Jesus knew by going to the cross, he would pay for the sins of the whole world. That gave him joy in spite of a horrible, difficult days that you and I would never understand. Why? Because he loves you. And those of you that pray tonight, just like all of us, we're a joy to Jesus because he paid for my sins. He paid for your sins. Thank you for going to him tonight for his forgiveness. Now, if you will take the piece of bread, let me read to you what Paul writes. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. This is just a symbol of his body. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. Again, just a symbol, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, thank you. That Jesus came. We saw tonight that the gift of salvation is the greatest gift we could ever have. And I thank you again for the people that have said yes. All this weekend they'll say yes. Because that's the joy that Jesus went to the cross for. If you're hurting tonight, you need healing. By his stripes we're healed wherever you're at. If maybe you're still struggling, you don't have the joy you really want, just ask God to heal you and and by faith receive that joy, knowing God is in charge of everything in your life. And he will take that which the enemy meant to be bad. He'll turn it to good. Let's take together right now. In the same way, After supper, he took the cup. Of course, it was a cup of wine. Saying, this cup is the new covenant 
not the Old Testament, the New Covenant, in my blood. Remember, without the shedding of blood on the cross, no remission of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. We're remembering Jesus. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You look at our world. I don't know when he's coming back. I don't know when the rapture is going to happen. But I want to tell you, it's closer than it's ever been in the whole time since time began. You know there's all kind of things. We're not going into that tonight. We live every day just serving God, knowing that we should be ready. A wake-up call for all of us. Lost people matter to God. Don't sit there and try to read the book of Revelation now and go through all of that. God, only God knows the time. But we are close than we've ever been before. Father, you're coming back. We want to be ready. We want to take the gospel and spread it farther than we've ever seen before. Empower us through the Holy Spirit that we be bold witnesses for you. And we raise our cup. Just raise your cup wherever you're at to the Lord right now. Because in a moment, we're going to sing, Good, good Father. Jesus, you're at the right hand of the Father right now. We remember you and all you've done. Thank you that our sins are forgiven. And let's take together in remembrance of Jesus.